Before we get started, I'll just share that this is something that has been on my heart for a long time. And um, we'll be going through quite a lot, so I'll probably be talking very fast. But um, I'm in no way attacking specific individuals, and I'm not naming anybody. What is in my heart is the importance that we line everything that we see and hear up with God's word and with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, the gospel of the kingdom of God. That is the priority, and that is where we must line everything up. If it's outside of that, um, just leave it. It's, and if you're not sure, leave it. <laughs> okay. So I've titled it Beware of Wolves. The gospel of the kingdom of heaven and Jesus Christ is under threat. It always has been. However, in these last days, uh, prophecy and the word of God is being fulfilled and that the love of many is growing cold. And we're hearing a lot of different gospels coming out, things um, being proclaimed which um, you can't find in the word of God. Um, many don't want to hear what they call the old-fashioned gospel anymore. Mention the cross life and um, they'll often shy away from you. People don't want to hear it. We often say it is a culture of entitlement that we're living in today. It's our right to have what we want. Um, and sadly, this culture of entitlement has infiltrated even within the body of Christ. And what is happening is that there are those out there who are pandering to this with teachings which are attractive and appealing to the flesh. And let's look at Paul's admonition to the Galatians. And he says, I'm astounded that you are so quick to remove yourselves from me, the one who called you by the Messiah's grace, and turn to some other supposedly good news, which is not good news at all. What is really happening is that certain people are pestering you and trying to pervert the genuine good news of the Messiah. But even if we, or for that matter, an angel from heaven, were to announce to you some so-called good news, contrary to the good news we announce to you, let him be under a curse forever. We said it before, and I say it again. If anyone announces good news contrary to what you have received, let him be under a curse forever. Those, those are strong words. It's very strong stuff. But it's so vitally important that we honour the true gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, the true gospel of what Jesus taught his apostles and the gospel the apostles have passed on to us. So, who are the wolves? Where do they come from? How do they start? Paul tells us that men will arise from among your own selves and will teach perverse doctrine. Peter says, false teachers will be among you secretly, and they will secretly introduce destructive heresies. John tells us not to believe everybody who claims to be a teacher of Scripture but we are to test those who claim to speak for God. In Acts 20, verses 28 to 31, he says, Watch out for yourselves and for all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has placed you as leaders to shepherd God's messianic community, the church, 
which he won for himself at the cost of his own son's blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you, and they will not spare the flock. Even from among your own number, men will arise and teach perversions of the truth in order to drag away the disciples after themselves. So stay alert. Remember that for three years, night and day, with tears in my eyes, I never stopped warning you. Jesus himself warned his disciples repeatedly. Matthew 24, verse 24. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders, so as to lead astray, if possible, the elect. Matthew 24, verses 4 and 5. And Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and they will lead many astray. Matthew 7, 15. Beware of the false prophets. They come to you wearing sheep's clothing, but underneath they are hungry wolves. And what do wolves do? They are predators. They prey on people. They prey on the weak. They devour. Wolves devour. Now, a wolf in sheep's clothing, from the Bible's perspective, is one who seeks to twist truth and use scripture to support their own doctrine, their own point of view, and their own agenda. It's not a case of taking the word and preaching the word and explaining that and um, giving instruction in the scriptures. It's a case of they have their own theory, their own doctrines, and so they'll pull out scriptures to back them up. How many times do we hear of people leaving a church because they couldn't get their own viewpoint heard um, or, or taught, and because their personal theology that they were passing on was perhaps addressed by church leadership and questioned. And these people get offended, they will leave the church, um, they may quit going to church, or they may start up a group of their own and bring in people who will listen to them and follow what they say. And that's a shame. We need to know the gospel. Look, we all differ in opinion and viewpoint now and again, but that's not what we're looking at this morning. Just because somebody doesn't agree with our own viewpoint doesn't make them a false prophet or a wolf in sheep's clothing. We're looking at something a lot bigger than this. It's when someone's own doctrine and their own personal viewpoint or interpretation is being proclaimed and spread as the gospel. That's where error comes in and people get led astray. How do we tell if we're being faced with a sheep or a wolf? Well, there are four basic traits that should put us in alert mode. One... They love power and they love themselves. Wolves will try to gain and hold on to power for selfish reasons. And often relationships are used and abused solely for the purpose of gaining more control. They don't want to empower people with the freedom and truth of Jesus and the gospel, but rather they'll keep them under their power with boundaries that they impose. Two, they refuse correction and respond to criticism with anger. Now, we've personally experienced both of these in people that we've um, been with over the years. When you confront a wolf in sheep's clothing, the response will not be one of humility and, and openness um, or repentance. Usually, 
this person will respond with anger and then will often turn the criticism right back on you. Um, I remember questioning a pastor in a church many, many years ago about something that was being taught from the pulpit, which was so opposite of what was in the scriptures. And um, I can tell you now, I practically, it was like a wolf leapt out. I got the finger right in the face. My entire faith in Jesus was rubbished and run down and pulled apart. And he was furious, would not tolerate being questioned. He was the authority. You know, he heard from God. I was nobody, so my, you know, words didn't matter. Their main goal is self-preservation, and they won't let anyone get in the way of their authority. A wolf will appear meek and appealing in front of a, an audience, its sheep, but will show aggression when confronted. Number three, they often use emotions to get what they want. They know the power of words and emotions to manipulate people. And they can play congregations like a master violinist plays a violin. They will use guilt, shame and even fear to keep people under their power and sway. A wolf knows when to speak sweet, appealing words to gain confidence and trust and then turn right around and use cutting words to fuel insecurity and to make you doubt your relationship with Jesus and doubt your own convictions and your own mind. And um, that's been personally experienced many times in the past as well. Four, lack the genuine fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, real love, God's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, humility, self-control, a wolf doesn't produce the real fruit of the spirit. They may appear to be loving and gentle in front of people, but behind closed doors, when dealing with staff members or family, they can lack these fruits of the spirit. They can give in to sinful nature and will display them when feeling attacked, or if it appears, they won't get their own way. Out comes the bad temper and the nastiness. So what can we do as members of the flock? One, watch and be alert. Jesus warned his followers to be alert, stay watchful and not be fooled. Now we must know the gospel. We must. It is imperative that we read the word of God and we follow Jesus Christ and his word and his teachings. So we must know the gospel if we have any hope of escaping being deceived. Two, if you know the real, then you will know the fake. Again, Jesus said, you will know them by their fruits. God's word is clear. They'll be known by their fruits, not by how much money they have, how many followers they have, how many books they've written, or what great things they've done. These are all things that are considered success in the world, in the natural way of looking at things. But God doesn't see any of these things as a sign of success nor are they a definitive sign of God's anointing or approval on that particular person's ministry. We must line up what is being said with the gospel. Are they staying true to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ as in the Bible? Are they pointing others to the forgiveness and freedom that Christ alone can bring? What do they say about who Jesus is? Is he the predominant one on their lips? What do they believe about the authority of God's word? Or are they 
holding themselves above God's word with a so-called new revelation and new doctrine and just using a few scriptures um, to back it up. Three, know God's word and you'll know when it's being manipulated. In 2 Corinthians 11, verses 14, 15, it says, Such men and women are pseudo-emissaries. They tell lies about their work and masquerade as emissaries of the Messiah. There is nothing surprising in that, for the adversary himself masquerades as an angel of light. So it is no great thing if his workers masquerade as servants of righteousness. They will meet the end their deeds deserve. Sometimes deception may be hidden well, for as we've just read, even Satan can disguise himself as an appealing angel of light. Meditate on God's words, guard them in your heart, press in close to God, spend time in his presence, pray, talk to him, listen to his voice through the word. Four, trust the discernment and wisdom of God's spirit. Matthew 24, verse 24, 25. For there will appear false messiahs and false prophets performing great miracles, amazing things, so as to fool even the chosen, if possible. There, I have told you in advance, Jesus took this very seriously, and he was warning, giving clear warning. When we're daily asking for his leadership and direction, submitting to his authority over our lives, we can trust the leadership of his spirit. Number five, surround yourself with other believers you know and trust to know God's word. Use caution in who you listen to and choose guidance to take guidance from. This is really important. We cannot rely on a person just because they're big and famous or got a huge following. doesn't guarantee they're right. Okay. Now, a few other indicators that may be a sheep that we're, we, uh, you know, <laughs> have been sort of following for the last 50 years or 30, 20, whatever, that maybe they're not what they appear to be. Okay. Um, let's look at the attitude and behaviour of the apostles first major servants of God who were taught by Jesus Christ himself. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 5, for what we are proclaiming is not ourselves, but the Messiah Jesus as Lord, with ourselves as slaves for you because of Jesus. Slaves for you as Jesus knelt and washed the feet of his followers. He debased himself. Now, let's have a look at a few wolf traits here. Okay, now, these are general, okay? As I said, they're not aimed at a specific person, individual. These are general traits um, found after observing over many years. There's groundless boasting of unverifiable experiences in order to lord their authority over those to whom they minister. They don't lay down their lives uh, to build up the people of God. They use their... Um, authority to manipulate the church into laying down their lives for them. And we see this in some cases. They're enamored with fleshy externals like polished oratory and manipulative gimmickry. gimmickry. And they use fleshy methods to appeal to fleshly people. 
They preach themselves. Often it's about them. They make themselves and their style the draw of their ministry rather than the foolishness of the cross of Jesus Christ. One person on the surface, but someone else underneath. It's necessary for them to appear to be something that they're not so they can deceive and take advantage of the unsuspecting. Always commending themselves and reminding people of the works they've done, they conform to the pattern of this world rather than be transformed by the renewing of their minds. Um, okay. They tend to adopt the values and methodologies of their surrounding culture rather than standing against the culture's values in accordance with the word of God, with scripture. And they boast about their personal presence and their charisma, and they fancy themselves as excellent orators and communicators. And they like to tell of their large following and command, listen to this one, we all, we've all heard this, exorbitant speaking fees. Um, there are some who will not set foot out uh, from their home camp to speak anywhere unless they get like a minimum of $2,000 plus, you know, five-star hotel, first-class airfares and everything else. Now, I believe that God loves and rewards his servants who are faithful. But there is a contrast. And when you're not willing to go and preach the gospel or share the message um, because you're not going to get paid enough, to me that's a big flag and, well, I'm not interested after that, I'm afraid. They boast of their ecstatic visions and subjective spiritual experiences. And as the scripture says, they measure themselves by themselves and commend themselves. They blend right in with the flock. You can spot him in there. You can't tell what they are just by looking at them because they're not going to show you their true colours. Okay, now that's just a basic. And now there are some scriptures in here that I just want to quickly read out. In Ezekiel 22, there's a conspiracy of prophets in the middle of her. Like a roaring lion ravening prey, they devour souls. They've taken treasure and precious things. They've made many widows in the middle of her. They've put no difference between the holy and profane. Neither have they shown difference between the unclean and the clean. And have hidden their eyes from my Sabbaths. Um, divining lies unto the people, saying, Thus saith the Lord, when the Lord has not spoken. And the other one is in Ezekiel 34. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say, Thus says the Lord God unto the shepherds, Woe be to the shepherds of Israel that feed themselves. Shouldn't the shepherds feed the flocks? You're fat, you eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you kill those who are fed, but you feed not the flock. The diseased you haven't strengthened, neither have you healed that which was sick, or neither have you bound up that which was broken, neither have you brought again that which was driven away, neither have you sought that which was lost, but with force and with cruelty have you ruled them. And further on, my sheep wander through all the mountains and upon every high hill. My flocks scattered upon all the face of the earth, and none sought, or sought after them. Therefore, ye shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, says the Lord God, surely because my flock became a prey, my flock became food, 
to every beast of the field, because there was no shepherd, neither did my shepherd search for my flock, but the shepherds fed themselves and fed not my flock. And further down, God says, I am against the shepherds. And that's all very strong stuff, but when the Lord um, appoints people to spread the gospel, to share his love um, with people, it's not to make to provide us, like Pastor Jeremy and Anita and any others in the ministry, it's not to make us into multi-billionaires and mega-millionaires and um, all the rest of it. You know, um, I follow Jesus now. If I want to know where, you know, and that's where I look, and that's where our focus is to be, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Okay. So we've looked at the wolves and... We're just going to look at some of the tares that have been sown amongst the wheat and some of the teachings we must be wary of, okay? Now, this might strike a chord with some. Um, please don't be offended. It's not personal attack. I'm just looking at some of the doctrines and things that are being taught. Um, there is one that's entrenched in um, many... Um, evangelical or Pentecostal circles um, that you can get everything you want from the world by following God and it's commonly known as the prosperity gospel does this line up with 1 John 2 15 do not love the world or anything in the world if anyone loves the world love for the father is not in them 1 John 2 verse 16 for all that is in the world the desires of the flesh the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but from the world. Now, in this gospel, there's a belief that financial blessing and physical well-being are always the will of God for Christians, and that faith, positive speech, and donations will increase one's material wealth. The view that the Bible is a contract between God and humans. If humans have faith in God, he'll deliver security and prosperity. Emphasizes the importance of personal empowerment proposing that it's God's will for his people to always be blessed. The atonement is interpreted to include the alleviation of all sickness and poverty, which are viewed as curses to be broken by faith. This is believed to be achieved through donations of money, visualisation and positive confession. Now, there is some truth in all of these things. There is some truth, grain of truth, but it's sort of built on. Leaders often claim that a specific blessing can be exchanged for the money being donated to the leader's ministry. Statements called positive confessions are said to miraculously change aspects of people's lives as spoken with faith. They encourage people to live without limits. Now, I was watching this preacher speaking, um, a preacher in a non-denominational megachurch. Now, he said that he views poverty as a barrier to living a Christian life. He suggests that it is easier to make a positive impact on society when one is affluent. I don't think Jesus knew about that. And I don't think the disciples knew about that either. Um, look at the way they all lived. I cannot see poverty as a barrier. There are some amazing sons and daughters of God out there who live hand to mouth all the time and they are full of praise and joy 
and they minister and they share the gospel. Look at missionaries who go out and live in horrific situations. I mean, we've experienced a bit of stuff like that. And the joy that is in your heart at sharing the gospel with broken people is amazing. And the fact that we might only have two mugs, two bowls and two spoons um, is irrelevant. You know, it's amazing. Now, some of the prosperity churches have a reputation for manipulating and alienating the poor, even while being involved in social programs. Many hold seminars on financial responsibility, which, though they might have sound advice, often emphasise the purchase of expensive possessions. Um, most prosperity churches are non-denominational and independent, though some have formed networks. Some of them reject Presbyterian governance and the idea that a pastor should be accountable to elders. Um, often the leaders or pastors of these churches are the highest organisation authority figure and they cultivate authoritarian organisations. Man at the top, what he says goes regardless. Often these leaders attempt to control the lives of adherents or followers by claiming their divinely bestowed authority to query or question elicits the response, thou shalt not judge, and touch not the Lord's anointed. Now, we're going to look at these two verses shortly and see what they really say. Now, there's another gospel, social justice. In the early 20th century, many churches left off preaching the cross of Christ and replaced it with doing good to fellow man. They justified their stance with verses from the Old Testament such as bring justice to the fatherless and plead the widow's cause, and similar texts in the New Testament. Jesus taught that when we visit those in prison, we're visiting him. And, you know, when we give him a cup of water, someone else a cup of water and help them, then we're blessing him. However, it's sad to see social concerns replacing the finished work of Christ Jesus, who died and rose again to save sinners. The gospel of God as taught by Jesus Christ and the apostles is almost entirely neglected in these churches. Now we're commanded to live radically like Christ Jesus, committing ourselves to the needs of others, body, soul and spirit, but we must serve with a redemptive mindset, always looking for opportunities to build bridges that will lead them to eternal life. If compassion motivates to help alleviate suffering in this present world, how much more should compassion motivate us to share the good news to alleviate their suffering in the world to come? We might meet their needs and um, make things better for them in this world, but my goodness, the fact that they could suffer in a hellish eternity should really motivate us to really bring that love of Jesus into their lives. Now, this one, the gospel of New Age spirituality. Now, this one is really growing at the moment. There's a new seeking generation who are uncomfortable with being told what to believe and look for a faith that's right for them. They look for spiritual experiences that are separate and independent of Bible doctrine. New Age spirituality is now being taught alongside biblical teaching in some churches, in some textbooks, in some, textbooks are being used that contain New Age teachings based on mystical experiences of God rather than the scriptures. There's a famous school of supernatural ministry that focuses entirely on supernatural manifestations and gift, gifts based on the premise, well, God is good. 
Now, among their teachings are these. One, man is God or God, capital G, or man is Jesus. And I'm quoting there. Two, Jesus took on the nature of Satan and was born again in hell. They say there are nine persons in the Trinity. That seems to be a bit of a contradiction there. Nine persons in the Trinity. Okay, it's not the Trinity then. Okay, Jesus died on the cross just for physical healing. Christians do not have the sin nature, so therefore we do not sin. <laughs> Jesus gave up and lost his divinity at the incarnation. Mm -mm. God is not in complete control of his creation and he is not sovereign. Oof. And those who speak negative words against God's anointed, the blokes who say all these things, are unsaved agents of Satan who hate Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Well, I'm done for. <laughs> the gospel package must include or include signs and wonders. The gospel can't be fully preached unless it includes signs and wonders. As I said, there are sometimes grains of truth in here, but not. You've got to look at the whole thing. Now, also among their activities are grave soaking, and I've seen a video clip of the pastor's wife or the leader's wife going and lying on a slab of a, um, someone's grave in a cemetery and others wrapping their arms around the stone crosses and angels and things like that. Now, the belief is that when a saint of God dies and they're buried, the spirit, the anointing, stays in the bones. Now, bones turn to dust, so I presume then the spirit must stay in the dirt. And they believe that by... Um, and so they will go and embrace and lie on these things in order to soak up this so-called anointing out of the bones or the dirt, you know. Uh, yes. Christian tarot cards. One of the Christian women in this organisation has uh, compiled Christian tarot cards and they use them when they go to psychic fairs in teams where they will sit at tables and they will, people will come in, they'll sit and hold hands with them like this and they will share a gospel uh, to appeal to these listeners. They will not mention God, Jesus Christ, the cross, nothing. What they do is they save them by introducing them to the spirit of creation. That's it. And... It's interesting. I was watching a video of um, a team going through a psychic fair doing this. And one other thing which would be enough warning for me, I'm fake evidences of divine glory in services. One I watched was during a worship service or a gathering, gold dust floating down the ceiling. People were just getting in throes of emotion. The presence of God was manifesting. The anointing was there, gold dust all over the place. Another church in South America from a person who uh, works like with, along with the leader of this organisation, the same thing was happening there. Turns out that people were up in um, the ceilings and that putting fake gold dust and gold glitter in the air ducts so that as the air was being pumped out into the rooms, the stuff was floating down and deceiving the congregations. Now, just that thing alone would make me um, pick my Bible up and head out the door. 
Much of what is promoted in this organisation is bordering on the occult. I listened to the testimony of one woman and she said that she paid her $5,000 for the 18-month course and settled in and she was surprised to see that a lot of the methods being used there were the same methods she'd used in her former New Age occult life. She felt right at home. Jesus condemned those who were always seeking after signs and he was never deceived by those who believed in him because of his miracles. Signs and miracles do not prove someone is teaching the true gospel. Now, a strong word is in 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 9 and 12. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refused to love the truth and so be saved. Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. A time's coming when, because people are rejecting the true gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and following all of this stuff, the time will be there when God will just let them all believe every line trickery that's out there so they'll all sort of be led blind, leading the blind. Okay, another teaching um, or attitude in some places now is the God is love. It is used as a blanket to justify permissiveness in the church. In some churches, people are told God is love and that they're welcome in the church no matter what lifestyle and they're living. The disciplines of God are ignored out of a desire to be seen as loving. The standards of scripture are not imposed and no discipline is taught by the apostles. Now, we're to love all people and welcome them into the family of God. However, we cannot dispense with the message of repentance and turning to God through the Lord Jesus Christ. We can't dispense with the teaching of living according to what God says in his word. We're Christians, we're God's family, we're in his house, therefore we live by his house rules. <laughs> Yet people are permitted to continue in these churches as Christians, despite living lifestyles totally against God's ways and God's word, because after all, God is love. So they're never going to want to change. There's a gospel of interfaith dialogue. Some churches are changing their messages to make those of other religions feel very welcome. Now, there are some Muslims being invited into churches where a special revised version of Islam is being preached. Now, these churches also give the Muslim leaders and the mullahs an uncontested platform to speak publicly and invite them to present a version of Islam that doesn't exist in Muslim countries. You know, I believe if we really want to know what Islam believes, why do we not ask someone who's come out of Islam and has come to know Jesus so we can learn from them the difference, you know, what's, what's happening there. But, hmm. Um, now, this one, the word of faith or faith movement. Um, this is one that most of us know or have had experience with or been in. Now, I'm not, as I've said, I'm not... This is not a hate message. This is not a, all these people are wolves. Um, there's just certain aspects of doctrines which are, are not quite right. Um, teach that Christians can access the power of faith through speech. Its teachings are found on radio, internet, television, and in many charismatic denominations and communities. 
renounces poverty and physical suffering is neither necessary to a godly life or glorifying Jesus Christ. Salvation won by Jesus on the cross included wealth and prosperity in all areas for believers. Teaches that suffering only comes from Satan. And one famous preacher says that suffering is absolutely against the word of God. Well, I might as well get rid of my New Testament. Yeah, um, so I just said I might as well throw mine out. Now, apparently, if you're not experiencing prosperity, it's because you've given Satan authority over your life. They argue that Jesus and the apostles had worldly wealth, owning homes, businesses. I thought Jesus said that he had nowhere to lay his head. Foxes have holes, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Oh, well, now these are the arguments to support these claims, or this claim. One, Jesus was able to travel without apparently working to earn a living, so he must have had an accumulation of money. References by Jesus and the apostles to owning homes. Mm, I'll look closer at that one. I know Peter had a home. Jesus had a treasurer. It was just Judas lugging the bag around, donations. But he had a treasurer, so he must have been a business and he must have been wealthy. Jesus consorted with the upper echelons of society. Prostitutes, tax collectors, publicans, sinners. Upper echelons, they were in trouble. (laughs) Jesus' miraculous ability to command abundance. He fed 5,000, found tax money in a fish, told Peter where the fish would be to overflow his net. And they argue that each of the apostles owned and worked in businesses. We know that Paul and Barnabas, um, Paul especially, did tent making so that the church would not have to support him. The words of the apostle John are used as a key teaching. Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prospers. That is a good scripture, and John meant that from the heart. And it is something that we would wish for all of us, each and every one of us in Jesus. But life isn't like that. He said, I wish above all things. Now, I would love to see all of you here, you know, with a million dollars in the bank and uh, your own house and a new car and being able to go on a month's holiday in Europe or something. I think that would be wonderful. But yes. Yeah. (laughs) But what about the cross life? Jesus said in Matthew 10, verse 38, whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Matthew 16, 24, then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. To take those words of John and turn them into an entire doctrine, not... Um, Yes, I don't, I don't see it. Okay, um, there's also a teaching in popularity that's growing that we are gods. Now, I sat and watched some um, speakers this week, and um, they do say it. It's more abundant that you may realise, and it's um, taught by people you might be very surprised uh, by. Now, it's based on Psalm 82, verse 6, and John 10, verse 34. The Hebrew word gods is Elohim. Usually refers to the one true God, but it does have another use, as in Psalm 82. In Psalm 82.1, it says, God presides in the great assembly. He gives judgment among the gods. 
Now, it's clear from the next three verses that the word gods refers to magistrates, judges, and other people who hold positions of authority and rule. Calling a human magistrate a god indicates three things. One, he has authority over other people. Two, the power he wields as a civil authority is to be feared. And three, he derives his power and authority from God himself, who is pictured as judging the whole earth in verse 8. Basically, the point of this Psalm 82 is God is warning judges and magistrates and people in civil um, places of civil authority that they are to rule with justice and fairness and correctness um, because they themselves are going to be judged. He says, I said, you are gods, you are all sons of the Most High, but you will die like mere men. You will fall away like every other ruler. Now, when Jesus uses this term in John 10, his point is this, you charge me with blasphemy based on my use of the title Son of God, yet your own scriptures apply the same term to magistrates in general. If those who hold a divinely appointed office can be considered gods in position, how much more can the one whom God has chosen and sent? Human beings are not gods or little gods. We are not God. Now, here's one excerpt from two preachers. They quoted each other. It was interesting. Leader, I'll use that one. If horses get together, they produce what? Congregation? What do horses produce? Horses. If dogs get together, they produce... If cats get together, they produce... So if the Godhead says, if the Godhead, if the Godhead says, <laughs> let us make man in our image, and everything produces after its kind, then what do they produce? Gods is their argument. And this pastor said, gods, little g gods. He went on and said, you're not human. The only human part of you is this skin, this flesh that you're wearing. That's the only part of you that's human. Another famous one writes in one of his books, God made us in the same class of being that he is himself and that the believer is called Christ because that's who we are. We are Christ. According to this man, by being born again, we have become as much an incarnation as Jesus of Nazareth. We are in God's class, thereby we are God's. Another famous preacher said, you don't have God in you, you are one. So, other teachings that are questionable. There's the teaching that Jesus gave up his divinity entirely on the cross. He went down into hell, was tormented, got born again and rose from the dead. Now, there's a teaching... That, um, and belief that Jesus suffered, so we don't have to. Um, but we look at 1 Peter 5.10. After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who calls you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. And I've got a lot here, but I only put a couple up. 1 Peter 4.16. If anyone suffers as a Christian... He is not to be ashamed, but is to glorify God in his name. There's another one in Philippians. For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer 
for his sake. Now that's, there it is, the scripture. If you want to know what following the will of God looks like in practice, look at Jesus, who was brutally tortured, murdered on the cross for our sins. Our own Lord and Saviour suffered. Look at all the apostles and the martyrs over time who died on account of proclaiming the gospel. These people did not receive back what they lost in earthly prizes or see their bank accounts increase. They sacrificed their lives for the sake of God's true word in order to receive the gift of heaven. And these are the ones we, we need to look at. And as I've been studying all of this and putting all of this together, I've been, I'm rereading my New Testament from the start again and I'm seeing it in such a stronger light. Just the importance of knowing the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, there's a lot here, time's pushing on, so I'm going to go on. The last one I mentioned is one of healing. Um, I watched, um, it's interesting, Jesus healed all that were brought to him, paraplegics, epileptics, um, those with leprosy and everything. But there is one extremely famous healer who, when the thousands flock to him for healing, all his helpers and people go out and they put to one side or they, um, those who are seriously like paraplegics, people with, um, in those great big wheelchair things, you know, where nothing works. They're just there. Mothers holding dying children, everything in the, in the congregation there. They are ignored. The ones that they pull out, they sift through and they pull out for healing those who've got what they call psychosomatic illnesses, bad backs, sore heads, eyes playing up, you know, sore knees, ankles, can't lift my arms above my head, um, you know, have trouble walking or something. And those people go up for healing and they will be ministered to. But all these others who really need real healing of God are ignored. And the person, actually a family member who was sharing this said, if he truly had the real healing power of the Lord Jesus Christ, why isn't he healing these people? Why not? Why can Jesus only heal bad backs and knees? You know, we have to look carefully. It doesn't matter how big a person is or who they are. Don't take it for granted. We must look at things. Okay, short time left. Those two verses that are given to us, if you query your question, do not judge. Judge means two things. There's condemnatory judgment. There's discerning. We're told to discern. Discerning judgment between right and wrong, between what is true and false, between what is the spirit of God and what isn't. That isn't condemnatory judgment. That is discerning judgment. And the word of God exhorts us to do this all the time. Teach not the Lord's, touch not the Lord's anointed. This is really misused. Psalm 105, verse 15. That entire psalm, you have a look at it there. Now, that's talking about the children of Israel, God's people as a nation. Delivered them from slavery, led them to the promised land. And when you look at that verse up there, He's talking about his people, that he's led out of Egypt, leading them into Canaan, into the promised land. And he said, he rebuked kings for their sakes, saying, don't touch my anointed ones and do my prophets no harm. 
Here he's referring to his people. He was not talking about a single minister or Christian. This is where people reach into a bin, like reaching into a bin of tomatoes, find one that's fat and juicy and they can use, and they pull it out. And that's it. All the other, um, the, the whole context is, is left out. I think we need to look at the true gospel of Jesus, don't you? <laughs> I mean, this subject is vast. I, I really tried to break it down. Okay, gospel first mentioned, Matthew 4, verse 17. Jesus began proclaiming, turn from your sins to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Wonderful news coming to humanity. Jesus' message for all of us. His father brought him to the earth, sent him to the earth to proclaim this gospel to us, the coming kingdom of God, and to turn to God so that we can be with Jesus in this coming kingdom. Matthew 4.23, Jesus went all over Galilee, Galilee teaching, healing, um, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing everyone that was brought to him. In Luke, Jesus commissioned his disciples to go and to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal then he appointed another 70 to go, heal the sick, and tell them the kingdom of God is near you. It was near you, all right. It was right there in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're to preach this good news, this message that Jesus and the apostles did. We're not to alter it, change it, water down, compromise on its content, or simplify it and pretty it up because we want to attract people you know, into our church. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. In Acts 2, we read, Jesus brought into the church daily those who are being saved. We cannot treat the gospel as if it's not good enough for the world today that we have to change it to make it more appealing. We are told it's not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. It's God's good news to humanity, and how dare we mess around with it. So... The amazing words of Jesus. He taught that the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, is like a hidden thing, like treasure in a field. And when we discover it, it's worth giving everything up in order to pursue it, to enter in, to let that sanctifying work of grace and that wonderful sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit build us up, prepare us and ready us and prepare us for this glorious kingdom in which we are going to live with Jesus as king and we're all going to rule and reign with him. It's a wonderful future that we have. We're not going to be playing harps, sitting on clouds. It says we're going to rule and reign with Jesus in the kingdom of God. Now, all of this just brings in deeper meaning. Anyone who would come after me, deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. So I'm going to get through to, because of time, how do we enter? We know John 3.16. God loved the world. He gave his only unique son so that everyone who trusts in him may have eternal life instead of being utterly destroyed. Indeed, I tell you that unless a person is born from water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Unless a person is born again from above, he cannot see the kingdom of God. We must have Jesus as Lord and Savior of our life. He's going to be our Lord and King forever. We need to bow the knee and acknowledge him now. 
So I will finish on this beautiful verse in Acts. Therefore, let the whole house of Israel know beyond doubt that God has made him, Jesus, both Lord and Messiah. This Jesus, whom you executed on a stake, on hearing this, they were all stung in their hearts, and they said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? And Peter answered them, Turn from sin, return to God, and each of you to be baptized on the authority of Jesus Christ and the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promises for you, for your children, and for those far away, as many as the Lord our God may call. Praise God. Is the Lord calling you this morning? Is he reaching down into your heart? And is he saying, here I am. I have everything here for you. Come and know me. I want you to share in my kingdom. I'm calling you right now. Is he with you right now, touching your heart? Is he speaking to you this morning to take those wonderful words of his seriously? If you really want to know Jesus, if you really want to know the presence of God in your life, take up your cross, follow him, deny yourself, be with Jesus. Praise God. Let's just pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you love us and care for us so much that you not only promise us good things and new life and forgiveness, freedom and deliverance, but you also warn us, Lord, of things to look out for, things that can steer us away from that beautiful message of yours. You tell us to be alert and watchful because you want us all to come home in one beautiful peace, Lord. You don't want us to lose out. And Father, I just thank you for your scriptures and for your word. I thank you that our whole goal is to spend eternity with you, that that is where our future is, our joy and our hope. And Father, I pray for anyone, Lord, who is just opening their heart to you this morning, anyone who is responding to you, Father, just reach into their heart, into their life. Reveal yourself to them in a precious way that they will recognize and know that is you. Lord, we thank you for your love. And Lord, I commit all these precious dear souls to you, everyone in this building, everyone who's been listening. Father, I commit them to you. And I long, Lord, that we may all share together in that which is coming as brothers and sisters, your children, your family, Lord. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Can we thank Jan this morning? Give her a hand. <laughs> the online stream might have stopped now. <laughs> it just got, gets to 10.30, so it's like 10.31. Oh. So... I'll just wave goodbye anyway because um, <laughs> they're probably finished. I'll have a coffee. Jan had so much to share. Now, oh. there was a lot of content there yeah. and the notes were uploaded. I forgot to say before we started, we might want to mute Jan now because she's having a conversation with me. Yes, please. Uh, <laughs> but um, 